Art of the Ronin, Volume 1 of the Ronin Trilogy. Written and produced by Travis Heerman. Voice talent by Daniel McCarville and Zeus Legion. For more information, please visit TravisHeerman.com. This novel contains violence and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 13. It is missing the point to think that the martial art is solely in cutting a man down. It is not in cutting people down. It is in killing evil. It is the stratagem of killing the evil of one man and giving life to ten thousand. Yagyu Munenori. Sir, are you all right? The little boy's voice was as clear and sweet as a temple bell. He stood there, beside the street, bits of sticky, fermented beans clinging to his plump, pink cheeks. His hands clutched an empty wooden bowl and a pair of small chopsticks. He looked up with big, brown eyes brimming with childlike fearlessness. His thin black hair formed a shock tide on top of his head. Taro stopped and peered at the boy from under the edge of his large basket hat. The child's head barely came to his waist. Taro said, I am fine. The hoarseness of his voice surprised him. He hadn't spoken to another human being for some time. Why do you ask? The boy drew back a step. Well, because you were walking funny. A smile tugged at the corner of Taro's mouth for the first time in weeks. How was I walking? The boy imitated a peculiar, shambling, meandering gait, and Taro's smile widened. Like this. Are, are you sick? My grandpa walks that way sometimes when he drinks too much sake. Only he's all hunched over like this. The boy put down his bowl, then bent over at the waist and pretended to walk with a cane. So, I walk like an old man, eh? Taro said. Uh-huh. Are you sick? Grandpa is always sick, too. No, I'm not sick. Why is your hand all wrapped up like that? You ask a lot of questions. Why is it all wrapped up like that? Because I burned it. It's ugly now. Really? Can I see it? Show me. No, I don't want to frighten you. I won't be scared. I'm strong and brave. My mother always says so. Taro looked up and down the street. Hakozaki was a busy port town, but this neighborhood was quiet this afternoon. All the men were working the wharfs, and the women were going about their household duties. A few children were playing with a cloth ball down the street. Then come over here. He walked over into the space between two houses, out of sight, and motioned the boy to come closer. The boy followed him without hesitation. He knelt and took off his basket hat. The boy said, Do you drink sake too? Grandpa's eyes look like that when he drinks sake, 
all red and stuff. I drink sake sometimes, but not today. And why is your hair falling out? You ask a lot of questions. Do you want to see my hand or not? Yes, show me, show me. You are a special boy. I don't show this to anyone. The boy's eyes lit up. Really? He grinned, exposing the wide gaps between his brand new front teeth. Yes, really. What is your name? I'm Shota. My name is Taro. Are you a ronin? You look like a ronin. No. He realized that his voice had come out as a snarl. The boy stepped back again, almost ran away. Taro softened his voice, mellowed his tone. No, I'm not a ronin. I'm a constable, and I'm looking for a ronin. Why did you talk that way? That was scary. I'm sorry. My voice is rough sometimes. Show me your hand. Very well. Taro unwrapped the linen wrappings around his right hand, revealing the disfigured member that now served him so well. Shota's eyes grew wide when he saw the strange reddish flesh and the long yellowed nails. His voice was a mixture of wonder and fear. Scary. It's the color of the Oni statue guarding the temple. Yes, that's why I don't show it to people. But you're special. You won't run away. No, I won't run away. I'm strong and brave. Taro looked at his hand with fresh eyes. Every time he exposed it, he felt a strange sense of wonder, as if it was not his own. His hand felt the same as it always had. Almost. The day he fought with the Ronin, he had passed out from bleeding. When he had regained consciousness, he was lying in a pool of his own blood, and his neatly severed right hand lay beside him. He remembered little, except for picking up his hand and feeling a sudden urge to hold the arm to the severed stump. A sudden slithering sensation, like worms in his skin. Snakes in his muscles, spines in his bones. He was so surprised that he would have dropped the dead limb, except that it was attached once again by writhing shreds of flesh. He remembered losing consciousness again, and when he woke up, the arm had reattached itself completely. It took several more days before his fingers would work properly again, but he was whole again and able to pursue his vengeance against the ronin who maimed him and left him for dead. Over time, the flesh had changed color, as if he had dipped it in a vat of dye the color of clotting blood. Since that day, not an hour passed that he did not burn for vengeance. Images of the horrible tortures he would inflict upon his prey filled his dreams. Painstaking dismemberment, burning, flaying, Tearing, flensing, breaking, puncturing. The shivers of glee grew stronger with each more depraved thought. But his thoughts were right and just. The Ronin deserved it all. What was the Ronin's name? He couldn't remember anymore. But he didn't need to. He did not need to ask people if they had seen the Ronin or knew where he was. 
Taro already knew how to find him. When he awoke in the morning, after a night of terrible, bloody, gleeful dreams, he could smell his quarry like fresh blood on the air. As the mornings wore on, the smell of the ronin's blood became too confused with other smells and he lost the trail. But he always picked it up again the following morning. And it was not just blood that he smelled. It was something else. Something warm and metallic, like the taste of a silver coin. And it stirred memories of pain. When he thought about that smell, that taste, his heart thumped even harder in his breast until he was sure that everyone around him could hear the sound. Since he left the sword school, he had made his way to the city of Hakata, then moved on to Hakozaki. He did not remember why Master Koga cast him out, but he remembered a reprimand of some kind, then leaving the school carrying his things. He was too strong for the other students anyway. He always had to be careful to hold himself back from hurting them. Well, they would not have to worry about him anymore. Master Koga could rest easy now that none of his other students would be harmed in practice again. They had all been weak. His way seemed to point northeast along the coast, and every morning the scent strengthened as if he was drawing nearer. Every morning he could follow a little longer. Then he wondered, why had he fought the Ronin that day? Why had they dueled? What was the reason? The Ronin had killed someone he knew? The Ronin had cut him to pieces? Killed all his men and robbed him of a beautiful girl? Wait, that was not right. Parts of his memory felt like a dream. Why had he been chasing the Ronin in the first place? He could not remember now and it made him angry. Why could he not remember? Shota reached out and touched Taro's disfigured hand, but only for a moment before he recoiled, and the smile of wonder faded from his face. Don't be afraid, Taro said. It's only a hand. Shota took a step back, and his big brown eyes brimmed with fear. Where is your mother, Shota? The boy turned and pointed across the street. She is home, washing laundry. Where is your house? Over there. Your mother will be getting worried soon. The boy shrugged. Where is your father? He's working. He goes to the docks every day. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Two sisters, but they are just babies. Ah. So you're the big boy, eh? As Taro spoke, he found disconcerting thoughts passing through his mind, like strangers in the street. Thoughts he did not know. Thoughts that did not feel like his own. Like how it would feel to crush this boy's little skull like an eggshell, and how it would taste to drink his blood. And stranger still, part of him already knew. Part of him already knew that it would feel good would taste good. He realized that his crimson right hand was stroking the top of the boy's head. The boy's mouth hung open, and his eyes were wide, staring up at Taro. Taro pulled his hand away quickly. 
There is no reason to be afraid, he said quickly. You are strong and brave. The boy gulped, and his voice was a whisper. Strong and brave. Then he took a step back. A tear trickled from his eye, making a streak in the dirt and fermented beans cling to his ripe red cheek. Taro tasted blood on his lips. He touched his mouth with his left hand and found blood where he had bitten his lower lip. He licked the blood, and a shudder went through him. The boy took another step back, then turned and ran away toward his house. Taro stood up languidly, like a snake coiling around a tree, and placed his basket hat upon his head. He brushed his fallen hair from his shoulders, wrapped his right hand in linen once again, adjusted his swords and his jite. Shota disappeared into a house a few doors down the street. Taro watched him go. Then, abruptly, he sat up. The room was dark. He had just been standing in the street, in full daylight. Now, it was dark. He could feel the coolness of the night air, hear the chatter of crickets and frogs outside, the distant rustle of the surf. He jumped to his feet, throwing the blanket aside. He was still clothed, and his weapons lay beside the sleeping mat. He looked around. This was a small room in a house, too poor and plain to be an inn. Where was he? A moment of panic shot through him. Not again. More of his life had disappeared, and he found himself with no idea of where he was or how he had come to be there. He swore fervently. What was wrong with him? What was that horrific smell? Death. Blood and death. He could see clearly in the dark and look down at his clothes. They were spattered with stiff, dark stains. He snatched up his weapons and thrust them through his sash. Then he stepped up to the thin paper door of the small room and shoved it aside. The buzzing of flies filled the small room with the sound of death and pestilence. Shiny black specks glittered in the light of the dying fire in the central fire pit, clustering on the blood-spattered faces, crawling through the congealing blood. Five shapes, two large, three small, all lying scattered and broken around the room. And the smell was... <laughs> no. Why did he think such things? That was horrible. He lunged for the front door, threw it open, and plunged down the street, running as fast as he could. The horror of what he had seen in that house paled beside the knowledge that he had done it, and that horror choked his throat closed until he could hardly breathe, and his breath wheezed and gurgled from his mouth. Taro did not stop running for a long time. Thank you for listening to Heart of the Ronin, Volume 1 of the Ronin Trilogy by Travis Heerman. 
Volume 2, Sword of the Ronin, and Volume 3, Spirit of the Ronin, are available now on your favorite audiobook platform. Please visit TravisHerman.com, look me up on social media, or send me an email. I would love to hear what you think about the story. <laughs>